This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Mike Pearson. Hello, folks, and welcome to AOA. It's the first broadcast of 2022, and I certainly appreciate all of you taking the time to make us a part of your day. As we look ahead to this new year, there is a lot happening. Of course, we're going to have the midterm elections as we get to November. We've got a discussion over WOTUS happening at the ETA. We've got a new announcement this morning from the Biden administration. They released their action plan for a fairer, more competitive, and more resilient meat and poultry supply chain. They dropped that on us about five o'clock this morning, we'll be talking to Jackie Fatka, the policy editor at Farm Progress, a little bit later in the show to figure out just what this means for the industry, at least so far as we know here, a few hours after it's been released. We'll also check in with John Baranek of DTN Weather. There's some stuff coming. It is still winter. John will fill us in on that. At the end of the show, we're going to talk to Garrett Toy from Ag Trader Talk. The markets are moving today. Soybeans are jumping. Garrett will explain his thoughts on what could happen as we go through the week. Before we get into all of that, there's another thing happening in 2022, and that is continued pushes by folks opposed to animal agriculture to change the way that industry is viewed. Recently, there was an article, it came out after the COP26 conference, comparing cows to coal and saying that they are, in fact, the new coal. Well, Dr. Joe McFadden, an associate professor of dairy cattle biology at the Cornell College of Ag and Life Sciences, has a rebuttal for those folks. And he joins us today. Dr. McFadden, thanks for taking the time to talk with us. Yeah, thanks for the invitation, Mike. Glad to uh, kick off the new year with you. Yeah, well, let's t- discuss this. There was this article published. It was, uh, you know, authored by FAIR, F-A-I-R-R, a group that investigates the environmental, social, and governmental uh, operations of livestock gr- uh, companies. And they said that cows are the new coal, and you disagree. Why do you disagree? What science do we have to support us here? Yeah, so when I when I read that article, I immediately became frustrated because it simply ignores animal science ignores the advancements that have been made over the past century in animal production to be more sustainable. And I look at those two industries, the cattle industry and the coal industry, and I see so many things that are different. And the the first part that bothers me is that when we talk about greenhouse gas emissions coming from those two industries, the methane that's being emitted from cattle is different from, and how it's being processed, is different uh, between the cattle industry and the coal industry. In the coal industry, when we're burning fossil fuels, we're taking gases, so it's mainly carbon dioxide, but also some methane that's being released that was stored for millennia. And it's, that was millions of years that's stored in the ground, and we're, we're releasing it. And it's going to take hundreds and thousands, up to a thousand years for, that, for those gases to be returned back to those geological reserves. But we think about methane being released, released from cattle, it's completely different. That methane is part of a natural biogenic carbon cycle that, that people that write those kinds of articles fail to recognize. And it's important because, you know, the, 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 that cycle involves a very unique relationship between plants and animals. You know, we talk about cattle, talk about dairy cattle, because that's my area of expertise. But they're consuming plant material that has a lot of um, carbohydrates that, that humans can't digest. Right, those carbohydrates are called cellulose. Uh, but that cow is going to be able to digest that and does produce methane. It, cow's going to birth that into the atmosphere. That methane, though, is going to get converted into CO2 in a relatively short time span, about 10, 12 years or so. And then that plant is going to take back that carbon through a process called carbon fixation to produce carbohydrates, and the cycle continues. So that's one of the biggest differences between the two. And unlike the coal industry that... Um, releasing that, that gas doesn't necessarily directly produce any, um, any food, right? Granted, it's being used for food processing, no question. But on the cow side, the end product is nutrient-dense animal source foods like meat and milk. That and they're the delicious. Yeah, it's delicious, right? 
Uh, you know, there, there are other differences. I can get into it, but I'll let you ask another question. Well, I just want to make sure I understand it. So when we talk about this, the methane coming into the atmosphere, the coal methane is effectively new methane we're releasing. It's been locked up for a million years. The methane coming from cattle is basically the same methane some different cow released 10, 12, 15 years ago, and it's worked its way through the system. Is that kind of how you see the differences in a, a very uh, elementary fashion? Yeah, so that, that, yeah, to summarize it, the coal industry is releasing CO2, also methane, but that's, that was stored for a long period of time. And so once it gets released, it's going to contribute to global warming. Now, if we don't change the population of cattle, and that stays fairly constant, which over the past years has been about a billion cattle on the planet, um, after about 10 years or so, that cycle is just going to continue to repeat itself. So the plant's going to be able to take up that carbon and convert it to, to carbohydrate, and, the, and then the animals are going to consume it, and the cycle is going to continue and continue. So there's really no net gain to the contribution to global warming. Joe, when now, this issue is being discussed, it, it catches a lot of attention, and it certainly gets people talking. But when we talk, we use a lot of averages. We utilize a, utilize a lot of global averages to discuss this. And I understand that the, the math isn't always there. You're working on a program to get better numbers from dairy cattle with regard to their emissions. Tell us what you've been building there at Cornell. Yeah, so right now, I, I feel for dairy farmers in America because there are, like the report you just talked about, I didn't get to read that one yet, but there are many reports like that. There are even reports being generated within New York State, and farmers are going to be potentially regulated in the future, and that's a concern because right now, we do not have the effective tools um, to reduce enteric methane emissions, reduce emissions from manure, and monitor them effectively. You know, there are a variety of things being talked about, but I think there's a lot of science that's currently missing. And so what we need to do is better understand what feed additives, for example, are the most effective, but looking at the complete life cycle of that feed additive and not only the enteric fermentation, but thinking about how are you going to source that feed additive? What, what does the transportation look like? And I use seaweed as a great example. See, everybody talks about seaweed. It sounds so exciting, uh, but different species of seaweed have different, different efficacy. And not everything is reasonably located. And so um, seaweed, other compounds, we need to explore them. And so at Cornell, we received um, some funding from Cargill, Genesee Valley Regional Market Authority, and also Cornell University to build um, what are called respiration chambers. Um, there are a variety of ways to measure methane, but to get real-time, highly quantitative and accurate data, you have to put cows inside of a unit that allows you to measure greenhouse gas emissions in real time very accurately. So we will have that, um, that tool here, hopefully in 2022. We're currently working in, on the installation of that, of that system, and it will be fairly unique, um, at least for now, um, in the United States. Yeah, I mean, I understand it's, it's really one of the only or one of the few, if not the only facility like it in the U.S. Joe, that is very, very exciting. Hopefully, as this year goes on, you get that measuring facility up and operational. We can get you back on and dive into some of the data that you're collecting, if you'd be willing. And folks, stick around when AOA returns. We'll be talking to John Baranek of DTN Weather about what to expect in this coming week. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, where we take a close look at the benefits of cooperative ownership. Each week, we'll host a new guest and discuss how you can get the most from working with your local cooperative. And we'll learn why farmers and ranchers just like you choose cooperatives to help them persevere and prosper. Tune in each Tuesday or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. The landscape of media has changed and people are more skeptical than ever about where they get their news and information. While major news outlets show decreasing credibility, your local farm radio station still shows strong marks. In a recent survey, Farmers rated information from their farm broadcasters as almost twice as reliable as major news outlets. Farm radio continues to be transparent, honest, and trustworthy. 
This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. Recently on Agriculture of America, we had a couple important reports released by the USDA. We saw their cattle on feed report come out. We also had the quarterly hogs and pigs report come out. Dennis Smith from Archer Financial Services. Not many surprises. Not many surprises. The uh, the marketing number was a good solid number at 105. One extra marketing day. Placements were at 104. Looking forward or or looking at the reaction to this, I would think you should see some bull spread activity. In other words, the front end of the market, I would think, would be a little stronger than the back end of the market. We're pivoting or we're looking for the, the next cash market, 135 last week. There's talk of uh, maybe it'll be much closer to 140 when it gets established later this week. For the information important to rural America, join us on Agriculture of America. You are not your diagnosis. A medical chart is not your identity. And vision loss does not define you. Your drive shows who you are. And you are not alone. Because we are driven too. To be a beacon of strength. A champion of courage. An advocate for hope. You are not alone, because we are stronger together. We drive the research for the cures we are finding. We're fighting macular degeneration, retinitis pigmentosa, Usher syndrome, and the entire spectrum of blinding retinal diseases. We fund. We fight. We We win. We, we, we We are are the the Foundation foundation Fighting fighting Blindness. Together. We are Fighting Blindness. Join the fight at fightingblindness.org. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. This is Mike Pearson, and you can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Keeping farmers and ranchers informed. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back to AOA. It's a quiet weather day for a lot of our listeners here in the central part of the United States, but it is a cold day as that polar vortex leaks its way south to help us make sense of everything going on in the weather. John Baranek of DTN joins me right now. John, Happy New Year. How you doing? Thanks. I'm doing well, Mike. Happy New Year to you, too. Let's talk first about what happened over this past weekend. We saw some pretty impactful weather move across the country. Give us in. Who got hit the hardest? Yeah, it's uh, and it's not done yet either, too, uh, depending on uh, what you're looking at. But, yeah, we saw a huge system just kind of move through, just sweep across most of the country here. The last vestiges of that is moving through uh, kind of the, the, the southeast states right now and, and in the mid-Atlantic. Uh, we saw a nice band of snow from Colorado uh, all the way up through uh, southern Michigan. It wasn't uh, entirely heavy as, as I was thinking. I thought we were going to see a lot more uh, areas that got hit over 10 inches of snow, but we saw about four to six, four to eight uh, from the, in that whole area. Uh, and then we actually had uh, a separate system here kind of form along that, that, uh, that front that moved through and uh, brought some snow up from northern Alabama and Tennessee and is now moving across into the mid-Atlantic. So, um, you know, I have a friend down there in Huntsville, Alabama, and uh, she got about four and a half, five inches of snow out of it. They're not used to seeing that. So she was kind of happy. She's a Minnesota girl, so she was happy to see the snow down there. In terms of temperatures, and John, you, know, you um, mentioned that weather the across the, south, the southeastern U.S. There, there were tornado outbreaks or at least some watches issued across uh, Tennessee and Alabama and all those places from that severe weather, weren't there? Right, yeah, there were a lot of tornado watches out. Uh, in terms of reports, it wasn't too bad. Uh, there were a few, uh, a couple of tornado reports, or a few uh, wind reports with that as well. We saw a little bit in Kentucky um, uh, on Saturday, and then a little bit more uh, kind of southern Alabama and Georgia on Sunday. So we saw a little bit uh, of severe weather, but nothing like we saw earlier in uh, December uh, at all. So luckily, a lot of places were saved from that. Yeah, true. That is for sure. John, we do have some cold weather. Finally, it feels like winter across a lot of the Midwest. How long does this cold snap going to last and who's going to get the the coldest of the cold? So the coldest of the cold, if you look at kind of below normal, 
Uh, right now, it's the northern uh, the northern portions of of the Great Lakes here that are that are getting the coldest of the cold in terms of temperatures. But you know, from where you were at, kind of in Illinois, Indiana, Ohio, seeing 50s and 60s last week, when it gets down below freezing, that's a that's a pretty good slap in the face, I would say. Uh, and there's been a couple of areas here in in Iowa and in, in Northwest Illinois where temperatures have finally gone below zero for the first time. And uh, you know that's that's quite a stark contrast from where we were at last week. Um, this little burst here of cold isn't going to last too long, probably another day or two um, before it really pushes out. But we got another one coming in right behind it. So we've got another lobe of the polar vortex kind of spinning up off the coast of British Columbia and the Pacific Northwest, building some colder temperatures here across uh, the northern Canadian prairies. And it'll be kind of sweeping that through um, through the country here uh, starting tomorrow in the Dakotas, uh, and then really getting through the rest of the country here on Wednesday and Thursday. Again, that's not going to last too long, but temperatures are going to feel cold again. Uh, they're about 20 to 30 degrees below normal, so um, it's a pretty good cold shot, even if it's only going to be brief. Yeah, that is a little chilly. You mentioned that snowmaker moving its way across the northern tier of the, uh, the country. You mentioned the Dakotas there. How far south are we going to see snow from this next system working its way across from the west right now? Yeah, so it's going to kind of come in two pieces. The first part kind of goes through the, the Canadian prairies, North Dakota, Minnesota. Not a whole lot of, uh, it's going to be light and fluffy snow because it's so cold. Um, so probably about four to six inches with that up there. Uh, the secondary piece of this uh, really starts gathering up in the central plains here on kind of Wednesday night into Thursday, and then moving across uh, the southern portions of the Midwest and Southeast. The snow portion of it looks like it's going to be kind of the, the heavy snow along and just north of the Ohio River. Um, it's kind of hard to talk about uh, amounts right now, but I'm thinking uh, we're looking at, you know, it's definitely going to be plowable. And I think, um, you know, it wouldn't be out of the question to see more than six or eight inches of snow uh, in, in that band moving through. Oh, wow. So north of the Ohio, six to eight inches of snow. And you expect that Wednesday and Thursday, is that right? Uh, more like Thursday, Thursday evening, Thursday night uh, through Friday. All right. Well, this last week, John, we also had some pretty severe fire outbreaks. I'm thinking about the one in Colorado. We saw three communities evacuated, a lot of structures destroyed. As these rain systems are moving across, I know we're getting some high wind. Are we getting enough rain to actually lessen some of the fire risk here out west? Yeah, and unfortunately, I had some uh, family members lose a home out there, too. So, yeah. It was, oh, I'm sorry. It's a horrible situation out there. Um, you know, luckily they were out of town, and, but they didn't have a chance to move any of their stuff out before the fires came. But, you know, they, they haven't really gotten a whole lot of precipitation. Last week, you know, we, the, the, the weekend storm that moved through brought a whole bunch of precipitation, but not that, partial, that portion of the plains. Um, you know, a lot of those areas saw a half inch or less um, uh, of precipitation. So it's not really lessening the drought in any significant way. Uh, the, the Arctic front that moves through that kind of brings some good snow across the southern Midwest is, again, going to mostly skip over the southern plains. So um, there may be a little bit of, of snow here in Colorado uh, and into Kansas and Nebraska, but for the most part, you know, it's just a couple of inches. It's not a whole lot of snow. As this cold front comes through this this next one, following on the tails of the one we're currently in right now, John, will it be bringing those same kind of high winds we saw with this last one? Or was that just because we had such high temps colliding with such low temps? Yeah, that's that's more of the cause of that. We'll still see some some good uh, some good winds here across the plains. You know, things are all flat out in the plains, so winds kind of blow through pretty easily. Um so, you know, out in the plains, even in Minnesota and Iowa, I think we've got uh, a pretty good shot of some strong winds. It really starts to weaken, though, uh, on Wednesday as the system kind of uh, the, the main portion goes off into Canada and we wait for the second piece that will move through. And that second piece doesn't have a whole lot of, of wind, I don't think, with it either. Um, you know, nothing, nothing strong like 40, 50 mile an hour winds at all. I think it's more like on the, the, the 25 to 35 kind of variety. Okay, which is bearable, but it certainly makes it a challenge if you're also getting six to eight inches of snow falling while the winds are picking up. That's true, yeah. So, the, yeah, we'll see some blowing and drifting snow with that uh, as well. So it's going to be hard for, for crews to clear off roads as well. So that, that'll be an issue. 
John, looking at longer-term drought relief here, particularly across the Northern Plains, it, it's been so warm for so long. We've seen a lot of infiltration of water into that water table. Now that the cold weather's here, do you think we're going to see the Dakotas, Montana, Western Minnesota locked in the deep freeze, a typical winter, until we get to the spring thaw? Uh, actually, for not really. Uh, um, you know, it's 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 kind of an, an interesting situation because like i noticed I, I i think you know i was thinking last week the cold air was going to stick around for a while but it's been kind of coming in in little pieces you know the northern plains up into the cane prairies they froze over real good they were 20 to 30 below uh zero um last week um you know this week they're doing that but they're doing that on short bursts instead of 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 you know long sustained uh, arctic cold moving through and next week it looks like we have a, a pretty pretty decent shot at a warm-up um, you know, we're talking about temperatures in the, in the thirties for highs and stuff. So, you know, it's not you know, a huge warm up. you know, but, uh, you know, nothing that, that locks them in the deep cold for a significant period of time. Um, you know, we could see that Arctic air start moving back in. That's typical of La Nina. And we should see that at least a few more times uh, coming through, but if they come in on those short bursts, it's, it's, it's totally bearable. Um, you know, we're, we're, I think the soil, the soils are, are all nice and, and locked up and frozen now, uh, pretty deep, but, um, uh, so we're, we're going to be counting on, on snowfall moving through and, and, you know, with, with the cold shots and, uh, you know, a typical La Nina season sees some pretty, you know, okay precipitation across the plains. I think we'll build up at least a little bit of snowpack for spring. All right. But in the meantime, you mentioned that freeze thaw cycle temps in the 30s. Of course, for our folks feeding cattle out there, keep an eye on those pens. That is a recipe for sloppy pen conditions. John, next week, you were talking about just briefly there. Do you see any snowmakers coming through here in the 10 day outlook? Uh, other than the one that we're talking about here around, you know, around the Thursday time frame. Um, no, not really. So, uh, there's a, there's another a system that'll move through this weekend. It'll bring a little bit of cold air, especially across the northern tier of the country, and it'll bring some showers up uh, up the Mississippi Valley um, and then points eastward. But for the, for the most part, it's not a, it's not a big snowmaker at all, uh, unless you're living out in uh, around the Great Lakes where you're prone to lake effect snow. We could see lake effect snow over the weekend and the next week. All right. Always something to look at when it comes to the weather. John Veranek of DTN, thanks for taking the time to talk with us today. All right. Thanks, Mike. You have a great week. You too. And folks, stay with us. When we return, Jackie Fatka, the, farm, the policy editor at Farm Progress, will join me to discuss the new release from the Biden administration about competition in the meat space. Stay with us on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. DTN and Progressive Farmer bring producers the best content in agriculture. Each day our editors post unique content to our website, bringing you the latest news and information you need for your day-to-day -day business decisions. DTN and Progressive Farmer provide insights throughout the year to questions like, what is the outlook for corn yields in 2021? Will feed prices surge? What about land prices? And what's today's weather forecast for my farm? For more intelligence like this, visit DTNPF.com. Young farmers don't listen to the radio, right? Wrong. In a recent survey, 74% of young producers said they get their most important agricultural information from their trusted farm radio station. Surprised? Don't be. If you think about it, it makes perfect sense. Radio is the perfect companion because it goes with you everywhere. Whether you're in the shop, on the combine, or in the truck, farm radio is right there with you. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. Well, early on Monday, we have the influx of new speculative money into ag markets, helping us move higher, especially in the grain sector, while we also see South American weather as another factor that is helping us move higher here early on this Monday. Only isolated and scattered showers fell in southern Brazil and Argentine crop areas over the weekend, moving analysts and crop scouts to start lowering production estimates. Now, high fertilizer and other crop input costs will remain a significant story impacting the commodity markets this year. It's one of the factors that's expected to keep the grain and oil seeds attractive to fund managers looking for commodities to use 
as a hedge against inflation. And that should combine with the emerging new generation of renewable fuels to generate interest in the edible oils as well. Uh, it doesn't mean that we can't have times of significant sell-offs in these markets, but we could see the markets manage supply and demand at a higher level than would otherwise be expected, which is what we've already been seeing in recent months, and that trend continuing here today. January soybeans up 24 and 3 quarters, 13.53 and a half. March soybeans up 27 and 3 quarters at 13.67. January bean meal up 12.80 a ton at 4.24.50. January soybean oil up 4 points, 56.34. March quart up four and a half, five ninety-seven to three quarters. May quart up four to quarter, five ninety-nine and a quarter. March Chicago wheat down one to three quarters at seven sixty-nine. March Kansas City wheat three higher, eight oh four and a half. March spring wheat a quarter penny lower, nine eighty-one and three quarters. March oats half a penny higher, six eighty-three and a half. Light mixed action in cattle and hogs to start. February live cattle down twelve, one thirty-nine fifty-seven. April down thirty, one forty-four fifty-two. January feeder cattle down 41.66.47. February hogs 10 higher 81.57. And April up 30 at 87.02. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. I'll take dig a little, learn a lot for 30 bushels. Soft and crumbly. Tom. How does healthy soil feel to the touch? Correct. Dig a little for 40 bushels. Sweet and earthy. Tom. What does healthy soil smell like? Yes, go again. Dig a little for 50 bushels. Dark, porous, and alive. Tom. What does healthy soil look like? You win. Understanding the basics and benefits of healthy soil can make your farm a winner too. Through lower input costs, better yields, and drought protection which can lead to a healthier bottom line for your business. Contact your local Natural Resources Conservation Service office today to find out how you can unlock the secrets in your soil. This message brought to you by USDA's Natural Resources Conservation Service and this radio station. This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Information farmers and ranchers need to know. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back to AOA. We just heard in the last segment from John Moranick at DTN about how things are cooling off across the country with this cold snap, but things are heating up in Washington, D.C. on the policy front. This morning, as I mentioned earlier in the show, the Biden administration released a new program, or I should say a fact sheet. It's called the Biden-Harris Action Plan for a Fairer, More Competitive, and More Resilient Meat and Poultry Supply Chain. A lot of potential changes included in this to help us make sense of them all. Jackie Fatka, the farm policy editor at Farm Progress, joins me. And Jackie, we got this thing at five o'clock in the morning. What's your first blush from this new action plan from the Biden administration? Well, great to be with you, Mike. Always, always wonderful to talk. And yes, we do have some news coming out of D.C. early this morning. But actually, we've known about a lot of this well before today. Uh, This is kind of the uh, fanfare that's being created um, on some of the money that was actually passed in the American Rescue Plan, which was almost a year ago. Um, a lot of this is the $1 billion for expansion of independent processing capacity. Uh, so some of this has actually already been announced by USDA. And today, President Biden was meeting with some farmers as well with his Attorney General and Secretary of Ag- Agriculture, Tom Vilsack. Uh, And so obviously there's been a lot of concerns about what happened in the meat industry out of the out of COVID and and what kind of problems that were revealed during COVID. Um, And so this is somewhat of their answer of of what they're trying to show their their ways of, okay, we're we're making some progress. And some of that is. Um, they're they're going to deploy some money 
for loans for businesses who are looking to expand processing capacity. They're also, um, you know, $100 million of that $1 billion is to train up the workforce, which, you know, I actually reached out to the North American Meat Institute this morning, and that's one of their biggest concerns. You know, we could have processing capacity, but if we don't have workers to work the processing capacity, then it doesn't actually help farmers. And so, you know, that's one component of what they have within this plan that they've un unveiled today. Um, and then also some technical assistance and research development to help those independent owners or entrepreneurs actually create or expand new capacity. So, you know, new cooperatives or new uh, farmers pulling together to to create new opportunities. And, and we are seeing some of that across the country. Interesting. So they're they're really focused on growing competition in increasing the number of processors out there. But they also said, Jackie, that they are going to issue new and stronger rules under the Packers and Stockyards Act in D.C. What type of rules are being discussed? What what all could they change in the PSA? So, you know, this is another one of those. Uh, quote, announcements included in the action plan that we've actually been hearing quite a lot about. So this is, um, for those of you who have been in the meat industry for a while, it's often called the GYPSA rules. And the GYPSA rule is something that actually Secretary Vilsack attempted to, to figure out uh, years ago when he was in um, the Obama administration and actually um, you know, part of this is the reporting that comes from contracts. And so there's some concerns on, you know, what kind of contracts would be allowed if they write the rules a certain way. Um, during the first time that Bill Zach was in, um, during the Obama years, there were some writers within the appropriations bills that actually prevented USDA from finalizing these these rules within that was first called for in the uh, farm bill process. And then uh, one of the first things that the uh, Purdue administration took up when they came in during the Trump years um, to rewrite um, these gypsum rules. And so this has really been a back and forth for almost 15 years now on these gypsum rules. And so we knew Vilsack has been very uh, outspoken about trying to, you know, that was one of the first things he came in and did when he came in this time around of putting a hold on what the Purdue administration tried to finalize. And so, you know, overall, what they're trying to do is bring greater transparency to what uh, contracts are are and trying to create a fair marketplace. Um, but the concerns are if if everybody knows what everybody is getting, does that actually create less um, advantages for producers? And then another important part of that Packers and Stockyard GYPSA rules is you know what requires um, proof of burden of you know you've had harm. So if a a, a poultry um, a livestock or a poultry contract grower was able to uh, prove that, you know, they're, they were not treated fairly in the birds that they received or the prices that they received. And so, you know, that, that is a um, important part of GYPSA. And so this is a, a long time coming. And so, you know, them saying that they're going to issue new rules, they still have to issue rules, uh, require comments on those rules and and go forward through a very long regulatory process that's already been <laughs> completed once during the Vilsack and Obama year, also during Purdue, and now they're back to doing it again. So it, it's like WOTUS. It's just a back and forth for every administration. <laughs> So, Jackie, the one thing that, that kind of jumped out at me, and I know it's gotten a lot of press and a lot of publicity over the past two years, but there was a, a, a bullet point in this new fact sheet that said the administration is going to issue new product of USA labeling rules so that consumers can better understand where their meat comes from. Now, in their write-up of this, they were very careful to not call this mandatory country of origin labeling. How do we know how this uh, proposal from Biden would be different from MCOOL, or is it the same thing with a different name? So this is another one of those issues that's been around for a lot of years. Um, and obviously the product of USA is one of those issues that actually has a lot of cattle producers who support it uh, being able to designate where their meat comes from. And the, 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 trick, <laughs> the trick of being able to satisfy everybody is making sure that it's 
it's not mandatory. So the mandatory country of origin labeling back in, you know, over a decade ago required that it would say um, slaughtered, uh, born, raised and slaughtered in wherever. So, you know, we have a lot of cattle that come in from Canada or Mexico and is born there, raised here, slaughtered here, or, you know, born and raised there, slaughtered over in the U.S. And so uh, there was a, a W2O ruling that Mexico and Canada were successfully able to challenge the original rule here in the U.S. Um, that said that it was against the World Trade Organization's uh, trade rules. And so we actually had to remove the mandatory country of origin labeling, but we can still put product of USA. It's just like certified Angus, or it can be a marketing tool. And so being able to come up with something that USDA can designate um, should be able to get around that W2O ruling. Um, and certain uh, products uh, may not require the same type of labeling, right? So you may not have to have a labeling for a hamburger you buy at McDonald's, but with the ground beef that you buy at the grocery store might be able to say product of USA or being able to designate a, a value added. And I think that's where a lot of the concerns have come from is there's nothing wrong with being able to, uh, mandatory sometimes takes away the potential uh, added benefit that could go back to producers, right? If we mandate that everything is labeled as such, then you might take away that niche market or that premium price of being able to classify it as a product of the USA labeling. And so hopefully that's where this rule is going. Uh, this is something that there's, a, you know, across different cattle groups, whether it's National Cattlemen's Beef Association or U.S. Cattlemen's Association or even RCAF, there's been some different um, calls for that, but I think a lot of people do want to make sure that the producers are getting that benefit of that label. Okay, so we'll have to wait and see how these rules are finalized, but that's the difference. They're they're trying to make a product label that isn't mandatory so we can still get it past the WTO. Is is that a fair summation? I, I would I would say that is an accurate um, accurate labeling of what they're trying to do with this labeling. All right. And we also got a, a shout out here. The Biden-Harris administration uh, gave a shout out to the the work being done in Congress. We're going to have Senator Grassley on here a little bit later this month when he's back in D.C. to talk about the bill they're working on. Jackie, do, what have you heard? Do you think the uh, the Tester-Fisher-Wyden-Grassley bill is going to get a fair hearing in D.C. this year? So, you know, as I was talking with some folks ahead of the holidays, uh, you know, we saw the livestock mandatory price reporting, uh, which was a vehicle that they had thought might might see some of this um, this work that the Grassley Fisher folks in the Senate, it may get attached to that, but it, it does not have the same support in the House. So the House overwhelmingly supported a uh, the establishment of a contract library that actually passed on the House floor with over 400 votes. I mean, way, way, way <laughs> easy, easy sailing on establishing a contract library. But when you start to mandate how the levels of how many cattle have to be traded on the open cash market, it's just different. It's different based on region. And so um, I think there's going to be a push to see the Senate version in whatever livestock mandatory reporting does try to cross the finish line. We do have um, that this might have to be done by February because it was included within the appropriations uh, funding of the government. And so now, it, yeah, we're going to wait and see, but it's going to heat up here in the next month or so for sure. It's going to heat up. And then Jackie, we're going to have farm bill hearings. We've got the Build Back Better back on the menu. Hopefully we can get you back on here shortly and dive into some of these other issues that are transpiring in D.C. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you, Mike. And folks, stick around. We'll take a look at these markets, which are moving on the first day of the new year with Garrett Toy. So stay with us. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. As an organ donor, your story doesn't have to end. The good in you can live on. In fact, you could save up to eight lives with your gifts. Your heart could keep beating. 
your kidneys could keep filtering, and your intestines could keep on digesting for others. And that's not all. You can improve the lives of 50 more people as an eye and tissue donor, restoring sight and health. And you're not just helping out the person receiving the transplant. You're touching whole families with your life-saving gift. Register in minutes. Just go to organdonor.gov. You'll be happy you did. And just maybe, someone else will be happy too. Sign up today. Go to organdonor.gov. It saves lives. U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration. Hey, Dad. Your prescription will be ready in just a minute. Hey, Dad. Your laundry will be ready in just a minute. Dad, your lunch will be ready in just a minute. Hey, honey. Why don't you take a minute? When you help care for a loved one, you give them as much time as you can, making sure they're safe and comfortable. But it's just as important that you take some time for yourself. At AARP, we can help with information and useful tips on how you can maintain a healthy life balance, care for your own physical and mental well-being, and manage the challenges of caring for a loved one. Because the better care you take of yourself, the better care you can provide for your loved one. Thanks, Dad. Thank you. You're there for them. We're here for you. Find free care guides to support you and your loved one at aarp.org caregiving. That's aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Oh, nice engine. Supercharged? Yep. High porosity and aggregates? Yep. Porous medium for gas exchange? Uh-huh. Microbial catalytic potential and repository for carbon and nitrogen? Check, check, and check. Oh, man, that is good under the hood. And to think I used to be impressed with hammies. So, when was the last time you looked under the hood at your farm's production engine? At your soil? Is it as healthy and productive as it can be? Stop by your local USDA Natural Resources Conservation Service office today to find out and unlock the secrets in your soil. This message brought to you by NRCS and this radio station. For more than 135 years, the editors of Progressive Farmer have provided generations of farmers and ranchers with the information they need and trust to make informed and profitable decisions. We know you need that content delivered on multiple platforms, so it's available when you want it. That's why we created our weekly podcast called Field Posts. Join me, Sarah Mock, each week as I interview agriculture's top thought leaders, as well as farming's most diverse team of editors at the Progressive Farmer and DTN on a wide range of subject matter. From farm policy and crop production to finances, technology, and so much more, you'll have a front row seat to learn and engage in what's happening in agriculture today. You can find the podcast listed on all your favorite podcast platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Pandora, or by visiting our website at dtnpf.com backslash field posts. Recently on Agriculture of America, University of Illinois professor Gary Schnitke has been looking at projected break-evens for the 2022 crop. Gary, what did you find as you look out to this next growing season? If we're looking at uh, total cost, and this would be for producing an acre of corn, we're looking at cost over $1,000 per acre. That's the first time that has happened on average in Illinois, if it does in fact happen in 2022. $1,064 uh, $1, is the precise estimate we're, we're looking at in central Illinois, but uh, that is a record level, and that's um, over uh, over $100 higher than the 20. Uh, 21 cost, and it again is a record level of total cost of producing corn, and uh, a lot of that's led by fertilizer. But all costs have gone up. For the information important to rural America, join us every day right here on AOA. You're listening to AOA Agriculture of America. This is Mike Pearson, and you can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. 
Information farmers and ranchers need to know. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, folks. AOA continues, and we've got some fireworks in the grain markets to start the year. Joining me to talk about what all is moving the markets on this first market day of 2022 is Garrett Toy from Ag Trader Talk. Garrett, how are things on your end of the phone? It's very, very cold this morning. It was a, a good day to go down to the farm and turn the fans on and, and, and run the fans, but it's about uh, negative three degrees this morning. And, uh, but the sun is shining. It's a beautiful day to start uh, 20, the first working day of 2022. There we go. A little cold up here in North America, but it is getting hot down in South America. And Garrett, is that why beans are starting to move today? It is. I mean, we've had uh, the continuation of the weather rally that we saw in the year end. <clears throat> but the price action today really does seem to be focused on a lot of the, the, the beginning of the year index fund rebalancing. Um, you know, and that the, the fund buying that you're seeing or the fund, the index fund buying that you're going to see in the commodity markets uh, are largely going to be focused in soybeans and soybean meal. Um, and those are the two leaders in the markets today. Um, they're relatively neutral in corn, and it, it, they're not really going to do anything, and they're, they're small buyers of wheat. But I think today's price action in corn is, is, is following wheat, just the weakness in wheat is keeping a lid on things. But, <clears throat> no, the, you know, you look at the South American weather forecast, I mean, we had Stone X out this morning, and they slashed their production estimates. Uh, for Brazil, they, they cut their uh, bean estimate to 134. I think that was down 11 million metric ton from from their prior estimate. The USDA is at, at, at uh, was at 144, and they were 138 last year. So if, if a Stonex type number is realized, we're actually looking at a year-over-year decline in in Brazil soybean production. Uh, they cut their their their, uh, their corn production estimate by uh, I think it was like two and a half million metric ton. The number is 117.5. The USDA is at 118. So now we're starting to see these private production estimates come in under where the USDA was back in December. And you got to remember, we're a little bit over a week away from that January annual production report and updated South American production estimates. So, so the proof is in the pudding there of what the, you know, the drought in the southern part of, of Brazil and into Argentina, they've got excess rains in the north. Um, you know, it's, it's interesting to see that we do have these production estimates under year over year because you would think with the better rains in the north that maybe that might offset some of the losses in the south but that doesn't seem to be the case at least in the, in the market size at this point garrett you mentioned that wasdy report comes out next week on the corn side are you anticipating any major changes what should producers be doing this week to get established for next week well i mean here's the thing is we're just right off of the high you know, we're only 20 cents off the highs in corn. And I do think that if the farmer was proactive on that rally in late December, that they might have sold something. But you've also kind of seen it out here where these end users, the buyers are kind of backing off of things a little bit on the basis and on anticipation of beginning of the year selling, uh, tax, you know, tax selling, delayed selling, that sort of thing. Uh, but I also think that they bought, you know, uh, picked up another uh, chunk of grain here on that move to the to, to 610 and above. So on the bean market, I mean, I was looking here at the fact that we're near the highs. Um, you know, I do anticipate a friendly report, but, but uh, you know, to, to take what the market's giving here, look at some out-of-the-money puts here and just keep puts that you can look at rolling up should the, bo- the board continue to rally. But you have to remember, we're only, like I said, 20 cents off our highs in, in corn. Beans overnight tested this, this, this trend line. Uh, off of the uh, the June 2021 highs, that that trend line's at 1369. Um, you know we're not that far from you know we're, we're 1355. We're we're only 14 cents away from those those highs. Uh, you know any sort of put action just to protect unpriced bushels in here. We just have such good prices. You, you just want to protect them and make sure that something doesn't happen that that you, you that they they happen to go away on us. Yeah, yeah, it's always better to, to sell when you can, not when you have to. And Garrett, you mentioned the wheat market. Well, that's really kind of the only place to, today we're seeing some pressure. What's happened in wheat? We went from a bull story to now we're finding a little bit of weakness. Well, it's 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 there's indications that we've kind of you know maybe rationed man in here. We had the gas tender last week, um, it, and it's always with with uh, wheat. It seems like the, the, the 
the exporters always seem to sandbag the market a little bit. But there were quite a few offers out there, and uh, I think there's a little bit more wheat than what we anticipate. Um, you know, the south or the southern hemisphere wheat, they keep raising, they keep wanting to raise that Argentine wheat production estimate, and um, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a. Uh, uh, a tight story here because we're, we're trading a world number in a, a U.S. market that is, is not competitive. So the U.S. market has to correct here versus this Matif market, and, um, and uh, I, I think that's what we're seeing here today. Hey, Garrett, sorry about that. I want to ask you one of the wild card questions here. We've seen the oat market go nuts over this past year, and it's always been said that oats knows where corn goes. Are we going to see corn have a sell-off following oats? Uh, I, I, the correlations aren't that great. I know it's the old, the old wives' tale, the old pit stories here, but the correlation hasn't been great. Um, you know, the fact of the matter is, is you know, quotes really have kind of outpaced the corn market here over the last three, four months, and uh, you know, corn has its own fundamentals. I think the bigger thing right now is, is um, you know, the fact that we've got crude back to 76 bucks. These ethanol markets, you know, these ethanol markets are, are strong. Um, you know, the, the the EIA numbers last week still suggest that the USDA might be you know, 100 to 200 million bushel underestimating ethanol demand, which potentially could offset some of the, you know, export cuts that the trade may be anticipating um, here at this point forward. But that was before the South American weather issues. I mean, I think the market still is anticipating a tightening corn system. But I think longer term, uh, corn relationship can be more all right. Well, we'll keep watching it. Garrett, we'll get you back on. That's Garrett Toy. You can find him on Twitter at Ag Trader Talk. Always appreciate your insight. And folks, tune in tomorrow. We'll talk a little bit about what's happening in California with Proposition 12. And AOA will continue. Have a great day, everybody. This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Today, more than 6 million Americans are living with Alzheimer's, and more than 11 million family members and friends serve as their caregivers. While researchers are working tirelessly to end Alzheimer's and all other dementia, the number of people living with Alzheimer's is expected to more than double by 2050. The toll of the disease is monumental, and its devastation affects family, friends, and especially caregivers. No one should face Alzheimer's and dementia by themselves. If you or someone you know is struggling to provide care to a loved one, please share this message. You are not alone. Free help and resources are available 24-7. To talk with an expert and obtain disease-related information, care and support services, Call 800-272-3900 or visit the Alzheimer's Association website at alz.org. You are not alone.